Book of Romans chapter 1, if you're glad to be here tonight, say amen. Miss the folks that aren't for whatever reason, but we're glad, certainly glad that you're here. I want to tell you what's true. I don't know what I'd do without going to the house of the Lord. Man, I look forward to Wednesday night. I, I just, uh, it is just such a necessity for me, and I thank God that we're an old-fashioned church. We still meet, like I told you the other morning, on Wednesday evening and Sunday night. How precious, how precious that it is. Like to welcome everybody. We got a special guest here tonight. Her name is Debbie Price, honey. We're we're happy to have you. <laughs> she didn't know that was coming. Do what? No, I, I I think I know enough about her. So we we'll we'll. She would like to have that pen, though, Steve. You know that, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, she may. So anyway, couldn't pass that up. Yeah, so. All right, Romans chapter 1. We're still dealing with Paul's uh, introduction in last, well, the last two weeks. We've been looking at the heart of Paul. If you remember, and I'm going to read verses 8 through 13, uh, it's part of Paul's, it's, it's kind of an unusual introduction. Paul is generally quick in his introductions, but here to the, to the church of Rome, he wanted them to know who he was. They hadn't met him. There are a few people in Rome that knew him, like Priscilla and Aquila and a few others. I can't remember their names, but overall the church that was there did not know him, and Paul wanted to do his best to introduce himself to them through the Word of God. So I'm going to be in verse 8, read down through and include verse 13. He said, First I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you. Can you hear his heart in that phrase and other phrases? I long to see you. He had a love for them. And he had never met most of them. Isn't that amazing? But isn't it amazing once we're in the family of God, we have a love for the people of God? I mean, it's just, it's just, part, it's just part of that spirit that dwells within us. That I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me, now. He said, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oft times I proposed to come unto you, but was let or hindered hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. Now, we were looking at verse 10 last week, thought I'd get further into this than what we did, but we're talking about when Paul said uh, in verse 10 again, making requests, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. Now I challenged you, hope that you did, to start reading in Acts chapter 21 and read through Acts chapter 27 to watch uh, the program unfold, the program of God as to how the Lord got Paul to run. I told you before, I'll tell you again, I think it's hilarious that it didn't cost the church a dime to get Paul to Rome. Rome paid for it itself. And if you look back in chapter 21, you'll find that 
Paul was challenged. You remember by the four prophetesses of a man by the name of Philip who was one of the original seven deacons and then a prophet by the name of Agabus took Paul's girdle and tied his own hands and his feet and said, this is going to happen to the man whose, whose girdle this is. And we decided, I think as a, as, a, as a little flock last week, that God wasn't trying to keep Paul from going to Jerusalem and then on to Rome, but he was trying to test his faith out. And I even said something that should have been said in a different way. I said last week, and this is the, this is the quote, if you don't have a faith that can be trusted, you don't have a faith that can be tested. And it ought to be the reverse. If you don't, if, if you don't have a faith that can be tested, you don't have a faith that can be trusted. And I wish somebody would have caught that and corrected me. So as I was listening to myself, I just shook my head. I thought, Lord, help me. So I appreciate you all and putting up with me for what I get wrong. But if you remember, we were looking with our finger in, chap- in a place in, in our Bible, just a couple of pages back to chapter 27 of the book of Acts. We're going to preview this just a little bit. And we were talking about the fact that sometimes being in the will of God puts us in the biggest storms that we've ever been in. I mean, look, following God's will isn't always just peaches and cream or having your cake and eating it too. Being in the will of God sometimes means that we're in the thick of things, that we're in the heat of the battle, that, that that's when it seems like all of the demons of hell have been released on us. But you know what the Word of God tells us time and again? Thanks be unto God who giveth us the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. None of us that are saved, and everybody that's saved in here tonight say amen. We're not battling for victory. We're battling from victory. And I thank God for that tonight. Now, we're not going to look at much of this here in chapter 27 of the book of Acts. But Paul is sent to Rome. I mean, after that, after that, while he was in prison, I believe, I believe Felix heard him. I believe Festus heard him. And he even, he even, he even appealed to, uh, uh, to Agrippa. And when he was there before Agrippa, and, and I believe Felix was still there, Festus, not Felix, but Festus was still there, they got off to the side, had their little sidebar, and said, you know what? If he had not appealed to Caesar, we could let him go. Y'all think that man was in control there or God was in control there? Hey, look, remember now, this desire of the Apostle Paul goes all the way back to the day that Ananias in a place called Damascus came to a man whose eyes had scales on them and he was telling them, him, God was through Ananias, what he would do. And one of those things he would do was witness before kings. Wouldn't that be amazing? Now, we think that sounds awful romantic, doesn't it? But wait just a minute. Paul was probably doing it in chains and fetters. Hey, listen, being in the will of God isn't always the easiest thing, but hear this old preacher, it's always the best thing. Always the best thing. Always the best. That doesn't mean our faith isn't tried. Y'all, y'all remember a man by the name of John the Baptist? The way I got it figured, he he didn't preach much more than six months. He didn't didn't preach very long at all. But he prepared a lifetime. And you all remember when when he confronted confronted Herod, he said, listen, buddy, you're in trouble. It's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. 
Well, Herodias got real mad. I told you a couple of weeks ago, women are dangerous. Now, I mean, Herodias was kin to Jezebel. Anyway, she had his head cut off. You all remember the story, I'm sure. And while he was in prison waiting on execution, he had two of his friends that visited him, and John Baptist said, Now look, I want you to go to Jesus and ask him this question. Are you him or do we look for another? Let me ask you all something. What do you think? Do you think that John Baptist's faith was failing him there? I mean, I believe he was human. I believe he was a great man. And you know what the answer Jesus gave back to him? He said, you tell John, in essence, to go over to the book of Isaiah and remember what Isaiah wrote, the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, hey, listen, and the poor have the gospel preached to him satisfied John the Baptist. He died, I believe, with a smile on his face, without a doubt. But, again, we're back here to Eurachlodon. Look at verse 14, if you will. Now, Paul tried to get them not to sail. It was late in the summer, early in the fall, when, when hurricane season is known throughout the world, just simply because the changes of, of the weather pattern and all that goes on that I don't understand. But not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurachlodon, and when the ship was caught up and could not bear up in the wind, we let her drive. Hey, listen, I, I don't know about you all, but I marvel when I turn to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I believe it is, and begin to read about the perils of the Apostle Paul. Everywhere he went, listen, Friend, he, he had great and grievous confrontations. He even said in one of, the small, one of the epistles that he wrote, he said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. You see, what's that mean? Back over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he said, I was beaten with rods three times. He said, five times I received 40 stripes, save one. I'm telling you, friend, listen. And you know what he was doing? He was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I'll let you all read that back over to chapter 1 of the book of, of Romans, and we'll pick it back up in, uh, in, in the latter part of verse 10. He said, I want to have a prosperous journey, and look at it again by the will of God. We dealt with that. We dealt with, with the fact that we want to end our prayers and all that we ask God with His will, not ours. Look what he said in verse 11. He said, For I long to see you, that I may impart some spiritual gift unto you, or I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. Paul did not doubt their salvation without a doubt, but you know what this tells me? He had a pastor's heart. Y'all know what a pastor wants to see his people do? He wants to see them mature. He wants to see them grow in grace and knowledge. He wants to see them become and be everything they can become to be for the glory of God. And Paul wanted to, wanted to be there to help them grow their faith. Now listen, we ought to want to grow our own faith. Would you all agree with that? I believe Peter ends his letter, 2 Peter 3, 18, with, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in be glory both now and forever. Amen. We, we, ought to be, we ought to be very involved in growing our faith, but what about me helping Steve grow his? or Jerry, or Roger? Are you involved in somebody else's? 
Do y'all know one of the greatest ministries that can be done in the church? Good News Club's amazing, Miss Judy. I mean, it's phenomenal. Meals on Wheels, is that what they call it, Roger? Is that what Dorothy calls it? Meals, meals on Us, right? Meals on Us. I mean, the other ministries that go on in this church are great. But can I tell you all, one of the greatest, my opinion, is peer-to-peer or one-on-one discipleship. When, when Evan, I talked to Lana the other day, one of the things that I told her is, look, I've got a series of, of lessons. I'd like to share them with you. And maybe if you're willing to start that class, some other people might get in it. We haven't been able to yet. And we can't make people. But I'll tell you, we ought to seek to build Christ up in other men. That's exactly what exhortation is. And he says this. He said, uh, he said but now wait just a minute. In verse 12, he said, That is that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. I believe Paul was saying, now, now that may have sound, sounded braggadocious on me, that the only reason I was going to come was to give you something. But Paul said, wait just a minute. I'm not going to give you something, but I expect to receive something in return from you. And no doubt Paul did. Do you all know that there is a lot of reciprocation from the pulpit to the pew? Are you all aware of that? When, when this thing is right, when, when, when we're in the right place as individuals, as a part of the body of Christ, I'm in the right place as a pastor. There is give and take from this pulpit. I mean, I, mean, I, I remember when I learned what reciprocation is. And it's an old coal miner thing. When, when I was an electrician at Bethlehem, under our raw coal silo that fed the belt to come into our, uh, uh, our, our plant, that clean coal, they, we had reciprocating feeders. And what they, what they were, it was just a big old piece of sheet metal that was connected to a rod that was on an offset shaft that was driven by a gearbox and driven by a motor. And you know what? They could set that to either go real fast or not. That's all that thing did was back and forth. It reciprocated. It gave and it got. It gave and it's got. And that's the way that it ought to be with us here in the house of the Lord. You know what? When that happens, it's a great spiritual truth, but it brings great spiritual comfort. Don't you all like it when you go out here and you feel like you get something from your pastor? I like it when you feel like that because I can tell. You hear? It's amazing what you can see from, from a pulpit. If you pay attention. I remember when I first came over here to to, uh, the Kanoa area. And I'd watch these young preachers preach. And Joshua's one of them. They'd preach like this. And I'd say, what are you all doing? And they'd say something like, well, I don't like looking at people. And and other ones say, well, I'm afraid. I said, listen, dude. If you're afraid of them, you better keep your eye open so you'll know which one's going to shoot at you. You can duck. I said, listen, you can't understand your audience with your eyes closed. You, You can't preach and tell whether you're engaging or not. You've got to read your audience. And I told him, I said, brother, trust me, they're reading you. And you ought to. I told them when some of them were early called in the ministry, some of them when, when, when it, this was years ago now, it seemed like forever now, 
And I told him, I said, look, I, I would get with them individually and I'd say, well, tell me about your calling to the ministry because before I'd give my pulpit, I had to be satisfied and they'd say this and that and it was all good. And I said, all right. But I said, well, let me tell you something. You're not only needing my approval, but everybody in those pews that sit before you, God's put them there as a witness to you and they'll help you decide whether or not you've been called to the ministry. Y'all knew you all played that role? Now, you all are real loving, you're real encouraging, even sometimes to a fault, but God has made it that way, and I'm glad that he has. So Paul said, look, I'm going to give you something, but I expect to get something from you. Look what he said at verse 13. He said, now. It's almost like he's wrapping this up, but he doesn't wrap it up till, till he finishes verse 17, and we'll step in that door here in just a minute. And I included this in, in, in this passage from 8 to 13. A lot of scholars didn't, but I do. It's almost like he's wrapping this up in my way of thinking from what he started in verse uh, 8. He said, now I would not have you to be ignorant. Every time I read that in the Scripture, now that I know what Paul is saying, I get tickled. What's Paul saying? Paul is saying, I don't want you to be ignorant. Everybody get this. Because he knew they were ignorant. What's the word ignorance mean? A lack of knowledge. And on certain things, we all are ignorant. Now, it sounds like an offensive term and used in the right way. It can be very offensive with, without a doubt. But Paul says, now look, every time in the reading, and we're going to find a couple of the places really quick. We're not going to spend much time on this. Every time Paul says, I wouldn't have you to be ignorant, the reason he was right was they were ignorant. He wanted them to know. He said, look, I want you to know something. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I proposed to come to you, but was let or hindered hitherto. Paul was saying, hey, look, I tried to get here, tried to get to you, and I just haven't been able to make it yet. But I want you to know that. Look, if you will, turn, turn to chapter 11, verse 25 here of the book of Romans. Paul's going to say this again, and it's about something else. It's about, it's about another, another subject. Chapter 11, verse 25 says this. Paul said, for I would not have you, I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, that ye should be wise in your own conceit, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Paul said, now wait, I, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery. And a mystery is a, is a sacred secret. It's something that's only known by God and can only be known by man when God reveals it. Man, in all of his wisdom, intellect, and ability, he can never search out and determine what a mystery is until God reveals it. It's impossible. It's impossible. And Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant. Let me, let me give you one more. You'll, you'll like this one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You, you know this verse of Scripture. It's real familiar with you Bible readers. We, we had it not long ago in our, uh, in our study on the book of 1 Thessalonians. He said, but I would not have you to be ignorant in verse 13, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. And that's one of the things that uh, they, they wondered about. They got a hold of Paul and said, listen, when you were here, you, you, you were talking about Jesus coming like, like he's coming soon. And 
we've had people to die. What, what's going on? Have they missed the rapture? Have they, have they missed God's plan and program? And Paul said, no, no, I don't want you ignorant about it. You don't have to worry about those that are asleep. They're in good shape. So I'm glad, friend. I'm glad God knows our lack of knowledge and he's able to give us insight uh, to what we need to know when we need to know it. And look what he said in the latter part of verse 13. He said that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. You all do know that Paul, like Peter, was the, like Peter was the apostle to the Jews, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. You all know that, don't you? Now, he ministered to the Jews everywhere he went, every town that he went into, every colony, every city, where he started his ministry, probably 95% of the time was in the synagogue. In the synagogue. But he was the apostle to the Gentiles. Look, look, look at a couple of verses. Chapter 11 again, I believe it is, here in the book of, of Romans. And uh, verse 13. 11 and 13, he said, For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles. Now it's amazing. When Peter, on the day of Pentecost, you remember Jesus told him in Matthew 16 after he made the great confession that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus looked at him and said, Look, Peter, he said, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Y'all remember him saying that? A key is something that shows authority. A key is used to open something up. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached the gospel and opened that message up to the Jewish world. If you read Acts 2 and you read that uh, fulfillment of the feast of Pentecost, there'll, be a, there'll never be another Pentecost. Everybody heard me say that? Say amen. When, when the... Feast of Pentecost was fulfilled. I, that's, that's a poor quotation of it, but you'll see that in chapter 2. Peter began to preach the gospel. He took the key and he opened it up to those Jews and proselyted Jews, which were converted Gentiles. They were converted to, uh, to Judaism. And since they were converted to Judaism, they were no longer Gentiles. They were Jews. Y'all do understand that. Eighteen different nations were represented that day. And there was no Gentiles there. There may have been some, but it was, so, it was so majorly Jewish this whole day, this whole thing, that we don't see even any Gentiles accounted there on that. But about 10 to 12 years later, Peter was down at Joppa. There was a couple of men that came to visit him because a man by the name of Ananias who was a Roman centurion who lived at Caesarea Maritime on the, on the uh, shore of the Mediterranean, a few miles uh, north, I believe it is, of Joppa, was praying, and God sent men through Ananias to get Peter. That's when Peter was waiting on lunch, and he fell into a trance and saw that sheet let down. Y'all remember that? And all those unclean animals were there, and Peter was hungry, and Jesus said, Rise, kill, and eat. That's chapter 11, verse 38, maybe 10 and 38. That's one of our favorite verses of Scripture. Rise, kill, and eat. Y'all didn't get that, did you? Never mind. But God explained it to you. It's no good. Well, anyway, he went down there. He went down there, and he preached the gospel. We were going to look at this, but time's not going to let it. And the Bible says 
While he was preaching, we'll look at it later when we look at verse 16, come to think about it. While he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and the resurrection, y'all know what happened? The Holy Ghost fell on all of those Gentiles and they were saved in the same manner that the Jews were on the day of Pentecost. Man, I'm going to tell you, we'll, we'll spend a little bit of time on that when we get there. But Paul was, Paul was like Peter was, the apostle, uh, the, 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 the commissioned messenger to the Gentiles. And I'm thankful, I'm thankful, I'm thankful for that. Any questions and comments? Well, Paul, Paul spent a lot of time in Asia Minor and on into Europe. He had a desire to go all the way to Spain, wanted to go to Rome. But if you get you a map, Linda, and, and look at where he went, he went kind of northwest. Now, I've wondered about all the people you know in the, in the Far East, and they tell me, and, and, and of course, you know, that's up to the Lord, but a couple of the, uh, the apostles went that way. And I was trying to think of Andrew, seems like to me, was one that went towards the far east. But Paul, in his journey, he, Paul traveled, I think, like 1,500 miles. And that's when a lot of it was done by foot. I mean, he spent three nights, uh, or a day and a night in the deep. Uh, I mean, you know, he, 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 he was on ships and in and out ports, just anywhere and everywhere. And man, listen... He sought to take the gospel where no other man had been. And he didn't want to build on another man's work. So he went to places, and he didn't go to the easiest places. Look, when you read about Ephesus, it's a big city. It was filled with idolatry. Even, even the, uh, the temple of Aphrodite was in, was in Ephesus. And man, you, you're talking about a corrupt place. Corinth. They had a phrase in Corinth, once you came to Corinth, it was at a crossroads of the world, literally at that time. Anybody and everybody went through Corinth that went anywhere. They talked about becoming Corinthicized, not in a good way. Maybe, maybe that's where the temple of Artemis was, and that wasn't a good temple either. And Paul took the gospel, and I can't wait till we get to verse 16, Listen, listen, friend, it is the gospel of God. It's the power of God, and, and it changes people. I was texting Josh back and forth today. He was texting me, and uh, I told him, I said, I believe you could go down there tonight and preach index and people get saved. I mean, there's just something good going on down low Oak. It's just, it's just pretty amazing. There's a touch of God on, on the message of the gospel that's what, that, you know, people have asked about Asbury. I'm going to go back to it. I made mention of it Sunday morning. Listen, I don't care what's going on down there. If it doesn't line up with this book, it's not a God. You can have all the singing and praying that you want, but if it doesn't line up with this book, now y'all seem a little quiet, a little skeptical. I, I may not know much, but there's some things I know, and I know I'm right on this. It, hey, look. Remember the key word to this day and hour? Y'all remember what I told you it was? Deception. And brother, sister, there is a pile of it in this world. A lot of it going on. Now, the Lord willing, next week, I never know how far we're going to get. I got great vision, great in, you know, great hopes. But 
Sometimes you don't travel too far. But the Lord really will start in verse 14. We'll look at the I am's of Paul. And we'll look at the fact that Paul was, Paul, we'll look at a debt, a desire, and a message.